Okay. So we, we're going to do a small review and then we'll get into where we had gotten to. Jesus rebukes the, the um, Jewish leaders. There was, um, this is the last chapter of a long dissertation that began in John 7 where Jesus was with, was with the Jewish leaders. And um, we won't get into that review there, but uh, the... Chapter 10 is the Good Shepherd. I appreciate the song that Brother Tim led about, uh, we used to call that song, Blessed Jesus, Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us. That was a good uh, beginning to this lesson here. Um, the sheepfolds of that time were similar to um, uh, this one here. There was um, a four-foot high uh, wall, stone wall, had thorns and briars at the top of it, and it had an opening similar to this, and the sheep would be inside of it, and then the shepherd, which was leading them, would lie down at the front of the entrance and sleep there, and he would make a full account of all the sheep before he did that. So we talked about that, and the briars and the uh, thorns were to keep out the wolves and the unwanted uh, prey, I guess, or, or, or animals from discouraging them from coming in there. Um, then there was another kind of sheepfold that was built, and this was a cave with a cave entrance there, and they would go into the cave, the sheep would, and then in the, uh, for inclement weather, they would go in there and maybe sometimes at night or whatever when there might be animals out, well, they would go into, into the cave and then they would be out eating, uh, you know, in the pasture land during the day. And we also discussed how Jesus may very well have been born in one of these cave-like structures here. So... Uh, just a little bit of review there. Then we got into chapter 10. And uh, <clears throat> Jesus knew that these Jews, these the common folks, knew what uh, you know sheep herding was all about because they had done it for many, many years. And he gets right into it, and he talks about how that if somebody comes up, you know, unwanted, uh, then they're a thief and a robber. And he's talking, he's using the sheep uh, as his reference, but he's really talking about the Jewish leaders, and later on the church would be a good analogy for that. And, um, the, you know, the, door, the, sh the sheep herder, the true uh, good shepherd, will take care of the sheep, and the sheep hear his voice, and uh, he knows he knows they know his voice by name, and um, they know that he's going to take care of it. Um, but a stranger, when it's a stranger or a hireling, is what they'll it'll be called because he's just doing it for money. Then that's not going to be the case because they only care about money, and they don't own the sheep, and they just want to see what they can get out of it. And the parallel is the uh, 
Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and how that they just wanted to see what they could get out of out of the uh, out of the Jews there, out of the uh, out of the common people. This is a, a a larger sheepfold. We talked about that that there would be several sheepfolds there with several masters or owners, and they would stay there. And in those type of sheepfolds, and then in the morning, the master would call his sheep by name, and they would come, and uh, you know they would be, uh, they would follow him. Um, I found a a little story here that was kind of good f- to go along with that. I thought I'd stop and read before we get back into our lesson here. Um, and I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, it probably is. It was I found it. It was a story that I'd found, and it makes sense. It, it's some particulars about it here that kind of lead it to... It seems like it's probably true. A man in Australia was rest, arrested and charged with stealing a sheep. He claimed emphatically that it was one of his own sheep and that it had been missing for many days. But when the case went to court, the judge was puzzled, not knowing how to decide the matter. At last he asked that the sheep be brought into the courtroom. He ordered the plaintiff to step outside and call the animal. The sheep made no response except to raise its head and to look frightened. The judge then instructed the defendant to go to the courtyard and call the sheep. When the accused man began to make the distinctive call, the sheep bounded toward the door. It was obvious that he recognized the familiar voice of his master. His sheep knows him, said the judge. Case dismissed. So, you know, this is a a parallel example there of just exactly what we're talking about there. Um, You know, that's kind of a a Solomon wisdom type thing of of the baby, which, you know, was a very parallel to, to in the Old Testament when Solomon had a case to decide between two mothers who had a, a, a dead baby and which one owned it. And, uh, of course, uh, Solomon was able to do that in his wisdom because the true mother didn't care who got the baby as long as it was taken care of. So that was kind of a similar thing there, and it kind of goes back to where Jesus was talking about um, the, the true shepherd. The sheep know him, and they hear his voice, and they follow him. So, um, um, let's see... Mm-hmm. And when they're out in the wild, they know that that shepherd is going to protect them because of everything he does for them. That's right. And um, so they have this bond they form out in the wild, and his voice is what's going to save them. That's right. And so the parallel to Jesus being the good shepherd and us knowing his voice, first 
That's right. interesting yeah how about that that's a good that's a good uh, parallel there uh, Julie that's that's uh, it's amazing uh, Jesus of course in his infinite wisdom there he he knew this to be true and he knew that they would understand what what he was talking about too uh, when he made these kinds of um, of uh, you know parallels or allegories whatever um, a little bit, you know, it talks about the thieves and the robbers. I think we made a parallel that goes back to John chapter 2 where, um, you know, the, Jesus uh, cleansed the temple because, I think it was 2, maybe having that mixed up with another chapter. But anyway, uh, when, when Jesus cleansed the temple uh, the first time, um, he realized that these Pharisees and these uh, Jewish leaders were just trying to make money off of the um, off of these uh, Jewish uh, people and the pilgrims coming in, and uh, you know he was, they had to buy uh, a, a sacrificial lamb or uh, pigeon or whatever, and they had to buy it just from them. They wouldn't accept something that they had brought. And um, they would say it had a blemish or whatever. And this is what Jesus is talking about, you know, some of these thieves and robbers. He's, he's kind of, you know, talking right to some of these Jewish leaders there. So, um, and Jesus says that he's come to uh, give life and give it abundantly. Um, and he's, he's the good shepherd. And when he sees the wolf coming, he's going to, to, to um, you know, t take care of the sheep. And he doesn't flee like the hired hand does. Um, he's the good shepherd, as I said, and um, they hear his voice and they follow him, you know, because they know he's got the true words of life. And it's not like some of these others, like Muhammad, who... I was reading the other day that almost all of these so-called prophets of all these other religions, they all admitted that they didn't have uh, the way to God. At the, most of them did at the end of their lives. Muhammad supposedly said pretty close to on his, on his deathbed that he really doesn't know what the meaning of life is. So, you know, he's... He's got over a billion people following him today and he didn't even know what the meaning of life was. So I think Confucius and some of these others, Buddha, they all said something similar. So um, we, uh, we know that Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. So uh, you know, we know that Jesus knows his sheep. You can't fool Jesus. He sacrifices for his sheep and he unites his sheep. So um, then they, they started saying he has a demon. We talked about that last week that um, Jesus said, how can he have a demon? Because, you know, he, uh, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Um, 
that, that this took place at the Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Dedication took place in the winter as opposed to the Feast of uh, the Tabernacle, which took place in, uh, in the fall. The Feast of Dedication was a commemoration of the rededication of the temple after it had been uh, the Hellenists or the Greeks had decimated the temple by sacrificing a pig on the altar. And this was uh, resulted in Hanukkah, which the Feast of Lights, and that was for eight days, I think. We had kind of wondered how long that was. It was eight days last week we talked about. Um, so we got to, we're going to pick up now where we got to. So with a little bit of a review, uh, then we're starting on verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, if you ever talk to certain religious, uh, other religious groups, you will hear this verse, and probably the one that's 29, used to back up their... Um, doctrine of once saved always saved but Jesus does not mean here that you can't fall from grace Um, he's saying that his true followers will stay faithful unto death uh, and that's in Revelation 2.10 and so the devil can't snatch them out of their hand if they're living uh, righteous and um, you know, good good lives, and so they can't lose their soul. Uh, that does not mean that you can just go out and do whatever you want to after you become a Christian, and you're still going to be saved. So uh, that's kind of a, a situation. Okay, twenty nine. So that's a situation that needs to be have re- some rectification there on how people believe um, 29 my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand I and my father are one so the Jews picked up stones again to stone him so Jesus tells them plainly but they're not ready to accept what he's what he's telling them He tells them three main things, that true believers accept the proof of miracles that are provided, and if they don't accept them, they're not not his sheep. No no more proof is needed to convince his true believers. Uh, God wants to give eternal life to true followers. Nothing can stop the Father from imparting this gift, even these evil Jewish leaders. And Jesus said, he and the Father are one, and they are equal, and Jesus shares the nature of God. The Jews count the statements as blasphemy. So, you know, this was kind of, was really, uh, I guess, appalling to some of these Jews for him to say this kind of thing. No one had ever talked with that kind of authority before. And they were looking for something to try to get him uh, you know, get him accused of. So they took up stones there, and, and of course they considered that blasphemy. 
So, kind of summarizing here that section, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, the true believers accept Jesus' witness. So they, if you believe, then if you're a true believer, then you're going to accept the miracles. And the Father wills eternal life. He's not willing for any of us to perish, but all of us come to repentance. I think that's in Second Peter. Um, Jesus and the Father, uh, Jesus and the Father are one. And, you know, that's real important. I think we talked about Wednesday night here in class that, you know, a lot of things were done in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, the destruction of a lot of peoples. You know, Sodom, the, all the cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Ammonites, the Amorites, uh, you know, the Hittites, goes on and on, the Philistines. And, you know, God did not like all of the evil things they were doing. And, uh, you know, homosexuality, we talked about that. And a lot of people say, well, Jesus wasn't like that. Well, it's the same. God and Jesus are one. And, you know, Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday and day and forever. And if Jesus and the Father are one, then Jesus was just as against homosexuality in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament, as God is. And so, you know, any other sin as far as that goes. But, uh, so we'll move on here, unless anybody has a comment. <clears throat> Mark, this with Jesus and the Father being one. We've got a world that almost believes, I know the Muslims believe, that God created Jesus <laughs> and that he made Jesus, and that's why they just accept him as a prophet. Hmm. That's true. Yeah, they're missing the boat early on because Jesus was involved in the creation and uh, never says that he was created. He was just, let us make man in our, in, in our image. You know, it doesn't say, let, let me, let God. It says, let us. So... Um, uh, ten thirty-two. Jesus answered them, "I showed you many good works from the Father. For which are you stoning me?" Jesus points out that their inconsistency. They have uh, they have proof of his divinity, but act against Jesus anyway. Jesus is saying, "Are you stoning me for the miracles I've 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 done, or for my offensive words that you don't like, or?" Are you? Is it both? Um, you know, we're like that too. We get our feelings hurt when the preacher's preaching and saying something that we don't like and uh, having our toes stepped on or whatnot. So this is kind of what's going on here, but of course it's much deeper. They're wanting to get rid of him because Jesus is affecting their whole way of life and their whole way of uh, earning a living and uh, trying to change up things there. 
10.33, the Jews answered him, For a good work, we don't stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, are, you being a man, make yourself out to be God. So they're not saying that Jesus is more than a man by the things that he's doing. And Jesus makes them declare that they truly do not believe in him as the Son of God. It is too much for the Jews to accept that God could come to earth in the form of a man. They just uh, cannot, you know, for them reading the scrolls in the temple all those years, they just couldn't see the parallels of the prophecies, all those 300 and plus prophecies that were, uh, it was kind of like right in their face, but they couldn't ever see, understand that, I guess. Uh, 34, Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law? I said, Ye are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, um, I'll go to 36 and come back. Do you say of him whom the Lord sanctified and sent into the world, You are blaspheming because I said, uh, I am the Son of God? Okay, uh, this is a reference back to saying you are gods to Psalm 82, 6. I have said you are gods and all of you are children of the Most High. So this is a reference to the prophets and to the rulers of Israel um, that were true representatives of God on earth. It's not... Notice it does have a little g there, but it's it's a reference to these rulers and specifically the prophets that they were representatives of God on earth. So that that um, that's not um, anything that they that he's he's basically saying that if you have the authority of God and if you're speaking on behalf of God, then this is not a bad thing, especially when you take into account that Jesus, who is the Son of God, was talking and, and saying that, you know, that he had all authority and all power and that the uh, miracles were being done, you know, uh, uh, in, 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 you know, by inspiration of God. And uh, so, you know, this is a, kind of a little bit of a hard, hard to grasp principle here, but if you think about it in that light, then it's really not because Jesus was basically saying that God has to have representatives on earth. And even now, we're the vessels of Christ and how else is the gospel going to get out to people if we don't if we're not the ones doing it so you know he was trying to get across to them that they could be you know if if they were if they were to be ambassadors for Christ themselves then they could be god so to speak so uh is anybody want to going to have a comment on that or Try to tackle it. Well, Hebrews chapter one, because of their responsibility, 
That's right. That's right. Yeah, they're supposed to say a great point that they had the responsibility of knowing the law, knowing the the uh, scriptures, but they weren't acting like it, and they, they they didn't understand all those prophecies that Jesus was the Christ, and when and that he's now that he's there, that he's working the miracles and doing the mission of Christ, and uh, you know he's saying that. You know, he's trying to get them to shape up, in in, in, in other words. So, one good thing, point. One thing the problem is, when they've seen the truth, they looked at what they were going to lose out among Rome and their leadership and point out in chapter 9. And like a lot of people say, when they see the truth, they really see it. They're not comfortable with it. It's not what they want to do, and so they find excuses. And they sometimes attack those who are short of hate. You're wrong. Yeah. Human nature hasn't changed a lot, has it? It's been pretty much the same since Adam and Eve, pretty much. So, yes, that's a very good point by Sam and Mike there. That's exactly what the problem was. So, back to... I guess we're still at we're at 37. If you do not uh, do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. If you, uh, but if you do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Uh, you know, God is was is good, and Jesus was good also. So He's saying that we're both on the same. We're both one. We're on the same page. So, um, you know, um, if Jesus was opposite of God or had ever done a sin or anything like that, well, they'd have some ground to stand on. But it never, that was never the case. He was always perfect. And um, so this just crossed their jealousy and anger just to, to, to continue there. So... Um, so 1039, therefore they are seeking again to seize him, but he eluded their grasp. Um, the Jews were trying to arrest Jesus because his time was not at hand. They couldn't do it. And by that it meant that it wasn't time for his death. Uh, so he, he managed to elude them. Now, you know, you don't know whether this was a miracle or anything like that. It really doesn't. I guess it doesn't say, but you, you wonder sometimes if this wasn't some some miraculous, uh, you know, some some of this might have been miraculous how he got away from them, because it, you know that's not the first time that it says that. And, but anyway, it wasn't time. I think his mission was a little over three years, and that wasn't the end of it. So uh, he 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 got away from them and continued his ministry. Uh, on throughout the remainder of the book of John. And um, so, 40. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing, and he was staying there. So many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign, 
Yet everything John said about this man was true. So they're referring, of course, to John the Baptist who uh, was beheaded. And John, of course, he, he was talking, he, he said, repent, repent. You know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he didn't perform miracles, but he said that Jesus would. And uh, he said that he wasn't even able, uh, you know, he wasn't even worthy to unlatch his uh, sandal. And, uh, but, uh, you know, he preached about Jesus coming. And, uh, of course, he baptized him. And so these people are, finally the light bulb is going off in some of these people's heads. This is probably more the common people than it is, uh, you know, the, 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 the Jewish rulers. But they're saying, well, you know what John said about Jesus is true here. He is doing all these miracles, and uh, he's very authoritative in what he says, and he's just, uh, you know, this must be the Messiah. So a lot of people believed him there. Um, and it's like I said, many people believed in him there. John summarizes the scene by saying that Jesus went out of Jerusalem preaching and teaching and performing miracles and this fulfills all the things that were told about uh, Jesus in the Old Testament and in the Old Law and some believed in him. So let's see, we got a little bit of time. I'm going to, um, in the last few minutes, and if somebody, unless somebody wants to have a comment or two, a parallel um, scripture is Psalm 23, and to, to being a shepherd, and I thought I'd run over some of that. We'll see if we can make that in the last few minutes here. Uh, if you'll turn to that, we'll kind of go over some of what that meaning is. It's a good parallel scripture for this this chapter. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Uh, that, that means that uh, God is taking care of us and watching over us, just like Jesus is talking about there in John chapter 10. He, we, we have everything we need now and everything we need in the future, and it's going to be provided. Uh, since God is our Father, we have assurance that he will provide and no longer need to fear any danger. So that's uh, so a little bit of what that means. Uh, verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. Uh, God gives, uh, gives us blessing upon blessing, physical provisions, spiritual provisions, uh, laid the groundwork to endure whatever we are going through, our trials and tribulations, um, gives us what we need and gives us even more. Green pastures, still waters, the best of the best. Uh, chapter, uh, or verse 3, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Uh, God is the only one who can refresh my soul and my spirit. He led me to him through the word and through and those who taught it to me. I am thankful he gave me instruction on how to live a godly life and to glorify him. So, uh, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, this verse, even, go, I, even though I go through darkness and difficulties and they're painful to bear, I'm not afraid of Satan. You have defeated him and you are on my side day, day by day. You provide whatever I need to endure any pain or difficulty that I encounter. And simply having your presence beside me is everything I need to, for comfort in the storm. And, you know, the rod symbolizes God's word there, and the staff represents the Holy Spirit. So, um, another little interesting thing I found about this the valley of the shadow of death is literally called the valley of the shadow. And it lies between Jericho and Jerusalem. It's the main route by which shepherds would take their flocks from the Jordan River down to the hill country of Judea. It was a grim place where death is, uh, seems imminent. It is very steep, dark, and a narrow canyon where the sun only reaches it when it is directly overhead. And David may have taken his sheep through, through this valley. And it's really an allusion to uh, uh, tough times. So I thought that was kind of interesting there about that, how, where that came from. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. So in other words, our struggles that we have are preparing us for something greater. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. The sheep are bothered by gnats. Mm-hmm. So they actually anoint, go ahead, the oil to keep the gnats from driving them crazy. Because these little things that get on them start making their minds go crazy. That's, that's right. And so he's saying to us here, all that little stuff that you're always worried about, mm-hmm. that's the way. I'm going to anoint your head with oil, protect you. That's right. That's a very deep analogy right there, isn't it, Julie? That's right. Yeah, I was going to get into that, but I think you said it better. Um, you know, um, you know, as a Christian, we, we shouldn't be worried about things like we do. Um, you know, Jesus, in fact, says it's a sin to worry. But um, we know that he's going to bring us through all of our bad times and and then I was going to talk a little bit about the oil there, that there, that the sheep herder will anoint the head of the sheep. And it, as Julie said, it kills insects and flies and even binds up the, the uh, wounds of the sheep if they have wounds and nurses them back to, you know, to, good, to good health. And uh, God provides us in a similar fashion and, and, and uh, we should... Um, we should realize this, that we should have peace of mind if we're a Christian. We shouldn't have, um, you know, we shouldn't be worried about things. We shouldn't uh, be worried about, uh, really, we shouldn't be worried about political things. We shouldn't be worried about what can happen to us. Um, we should really, uh, you know, if we're really Christians, we shouldn't be worried about a lot of the things that worldly people just can't stay up at night about. And um, 
it's a hard thing to for us to grasp, I guess, but um, uh, it's 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 the way it should be. You know, the peace that passes all understanding should be what a Christian has. So, Mark, for the cup runneth over. If you went to visit someone, they give you a cup mm-hmm. and fill it up. And as long as they wanted you to stay there, they run it over. It's when they quit running that cup over, it was time to leave. And with Jesus, that cup always runs over because he always wants us. Right. Right. And there's many references to that, you know, uh, you know, in the Bible, how that God just continuously uh, provides for us. just go wherever a sheep is led. They have to have a leader. That's a good analogy. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this is basically saying that if we trust in God, then He's going to reward us with a life uh, everlasting. And um, uh, Paul says in Philippians 4.11, I'm not saying this because I need, uh, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. In other words, God is good to us in all circumstances, and we will eventually dwell with him in heaven. So uh, I thought that was a little bit of a parallel uh, scripture, and I run over that, and I thought I might have a little bit of time at the end of the lesson. So So that concludes chapter 10. I think next week, Brother Don Blackwell will be here, and he will be uh, speaking during this time frame. And I believe, I think it's Larry will pick up the following week with chapter 11. I, I believe it is. So thanks for your comments and your questions.